Spectacular. Wonderful. Well, we've got a real treat for you today. A very good friend of ours, uh, Dr. Adam Dodds, is going to be preaching in just a moment. Uh, Dr. Adam Dodds took over the Dunedin Church from Liz and I uh, eight years ago now, and they're doing an absolutely phenomenal church, uh, job there. The church has grown again under his leadership. Uh, he has lectured uh, for, for a number of years at Otago University uh, and is a man who had, not only has a doctorate, he has two master's degrees as well. Uh, he has an incredible gift of being able to preach about the deeper things of God, but to make it accessible to everybody. And uh, he is one of the most intelligent men I know, one of the most fearless men I know. It is a privilege to have you with us, Dozzy, today. He loves a good curry as well. We shared a good curry last night. Can you please put your hands together? Welcome uh, Dr. Adam Dodds as he comes to teach us today. Thank you. It's so good to be with you. Um, hopefully you've got your notes pages there and uh, uh, you may well need those. Some messages have more content than others and I tend to be on the more side. So I trust that something will be of uh, value to you this morning. Uh, but I bring greetings from the Dunedin Elam Church. And uh, just so you know, I, I, sometimes when you're when you experience something week in, week out, you don't necessarily always know how good you've got it. But I genuinely think that you have two of the best pastors in the entire nation sitting right here in the front row, Mike and Liz. Genuinely. I had the privilege of you know, um, being in their congregation for five years in Dunedin before the Lord in his foolishness appointed me in charge instead of Mike and Liz. Uh, still trying to figure that one out. But uh, honestly, you have incredible leaders. And so... Uh, enjoy and serve passionately because they are fantastic. Uh, yesterday, uh, Mike and Liz came over to our place where we were staying and they, and they brought with them two gifts. One was the gift of spending time with them and the second was the gift of curry. And I mean, it, I don't ask me to rank those two because they're both way up there in my book. Uh, but man, what a privilege. <laughs> but the thing is, we could have said no. We could have closed the door and said, no, you're not welcome. Or we could have welcomed them in and enjoyed the gift of their friendship, but not actually enjoyed the gift of their food. Gifts are to be enjoyed. Does that make sense? Gifts are to be enjoyed. And so today I'm talking about the gift of rest. And it's up to you whether you receive it. It's up to you whether you unpack it and open it and enjoy it and put it into practice. I can't do that for you. No one can do that for you. You can do that for you. And I guarantee if you do, you will love it. And those who do so already will know what I'm talking about. Should we get into it this morning? Is that okay? Um, congratulations, by the way, any South Africans that were present. I heard that they won a little victory over Australia. Yes, that's okay. Moving on. I get distracted so easily. So the gift of rest. Um, in his book, The Rest of God, author Mark Buchanan records a question he was asked. And the question he was asked was this. What is the biggest regret of your life? Ooh. Just that shallow subject to start things with. What's the biggest regret of your life? He says, I thought for a moment, surveying the vast and cluttered landscape of my blunders and losses, the evil I have done and the evil that's been done against me. And then he answered, biggest regret of my life? Being in a hurry. The person responded, pardon? Being in a hurry, getting to the next thing without fully entering the thing in front of me. I cannot think of a single advantage I've ever gained from being in a hurry, but a thousand broken and missed things, tens of thousands lie in the wake of all that rushing. Through all that haste, I thought I was making up time. It turns out I was throwing it away, says Mark Buchanan in his book, The Rest of God. And the last year and a half, God's been teaching me quite a bit about the gift of rest. 
and I've learned a great deal and I'm trying to put it into practice the best I can, um, but I've also got a great deal to learn going forward on the subject of the gift of rest. But I genuinely believe that if I hadn't put into practice what I already know, which is only a little bit, um, but if I hadn't yet put that into practice, I reckon I would have burned out by now. Um, other people call that a breakdown of various kinds, but I don't think I'd be here if I hadn't already put into practice some of what I've learned, and of course I'm still a work in progress. <coughs> and uh, I remember coming across these words. Um, you know when you go on Amazon.com, you can sometimes get the first chapter of a book for free? So I was one of those people enjoying all the free stuff. You know, Eventually I did buy the book. I'm not that cheap. But... Uh, in, in, the, in the opening words of Alan Fadling's book, An Unhurried Life, he wrote these words, and these really arrested me. He said, I'm a recovering speed addict, and I don't mean the drug. I'm talking about the inner pace of my life. I've always seemed to be in a hurry. I was the guy who looked at the fastest moving lane on the motorway, the shortest checkout line at, the, um, at Countdown or New World, and the quickest way to finish a job. And that was me. I'm, I'm mentally, internally, always in a hurry, always looking for the quickest way to get somewhere. And the scary thing is, is that calculation affects how you think, and then it affects your internal world. And so that was me, to some degree still is me, but I'm working on it. Maybe that's you this morning as well. And you may be thinking, well, you live in Dunedin, you don't realize that in Auckland that's a necessity. Well, is it? On the inside, well, is it? I'll leave that with you. I'm a recovering speed addict. You might be as well, but I know I'm working on it. I hope you are too. But I believe God says there is a better way. There is a better way for us to live to bring him more glory. There is a better way for us to live to bring us more satisfaction and enjoyment in the process of life. And that is God's design for us. So are you good to go? Should we get into it? All right. Have you ever started a new job before? You've been given training and instruction People explain what you've got to do. And by the end of the induction phase, it's all done, you're good to go. You're a little daunted by the job in front of you. You think you understand it, but you've never done it before, so you're not quite sure. So you're quite daunted, but you're also quite excited and you're itching to get started. Have you ever been in a situation like that before? Well, we join uh, the first of our biblical passages this morning in Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the wild creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then we see, I'm just going to chuck in a little bit from Genesis 2 verse 15. The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So Adam and Eve, according to the Genesis 1 narrative, they're created on day 6. You've got day 1, day 2, day 3. And if you know your maths, that goes consecutively up until day 6. So Adam and Eve are created on day 6 and they're given a job to do. Just a little job. The rulership over all of creation. Just a little one. And so after their thorough induction phase by the Lord, they've been trained, he's, he's talked to them what their job is, they're good to go. What comes after day six? Day seven. And what is day seven? A day of rest. So just when you're good to go, the Lord says, take a day off. And you haven't even started yet. 
What would you think? How would you feel? Genesis 2, this is probably our key passage for today. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Does God need to rest? The answer is no. So why does God rest? For our good. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God blessed the seventh day. Remember that. We'll come back to that later. He blessed the seventh day. Why? Because on it he rested. And God's rest is there for us to enter into. Was the Sabbath made for God? No. Jesus says the Sabbath was made for humanity. So God rested and invited Adam and Eve to join him in that rest. So their first order of business, when they're good to go, is to take a day off and rest. What's God saying? What's God trying to communicate by this? That people's first job is to observe, reflect, and enjoy. Go hike the mountains. Go swim in the rivers. Go fishing. Go make sandcastles on the beach. See if you can outrun all of my creation. And so you start slow. You're going to race a poodle. And and you're pretty confident. And then you build up and you're going to race a spaniel. And then you're pretty confident. But eventually you get to the Alsatian and you're like, oh, I'm not sure. I can beat the Alsatian. And finally the cheetah comes out and you're just blown away, obviously. Yeah, the Lord wants us to go bareback riding, uh, bareback riding on horses. He wants us to go and have fun and enjoy his creation. That's what God is saying to Adam and Eve. And they haven't done anything yet. Maybe that's the point. That God doesn't want us to work to earn our rest. He wants to, us to enjoy rest as a gift and then work out of a place of rest. Let me say that again. God doesn't want us just to earn our rest. He wants us to enjoy rest and then work from a rested place. Am I making sense today? Rest is a gift of God. It is a picture of God's grace. And the whole point of God's grace is we can't earn it. It's free. And you might say, well, that's unfair. I didn't earn it. Ah, now you're getting it. Absolutely. Yes, you didn't earn it. And God designed it for you to enjoy. Now, I should say this briefly. Some people are experts in resting. They haven't yet learned the value of work. They haven't yet learned a a work ethic. There's a complicated theological word for that called a lazy bum. And if you don't like that term, lazy hands, lazy feet, substitute whichever body part you like, but be careful. No, no. You know what I'm saying. But I'm not talking about those. I'm not talking about, you know, it's important to work hard. And and I think most of us probably get that in terms of a work ethic. I want to talk today about those who understand a work ethic, but maybe aren't that good at actually resting. Do you hear what I'm saying? So I believe in work ethic, yes, but that's not what I'm talking about today. Resting well is something that we need to learn as human beings. And Adam and Eve, as representatives of humanity, God is saying you need to learn this almost before you even start any work. So my question is, have you learned to rest well? What are your practices of resting? What rhythms of rest do you have established in your life on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on an annual basis, and so on? What are your rhythms of resting? Do you practice it regularly? Psalm 46 and verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. In his book, uh, Mark Buchanan says, some knowing is never pursued, only received. And for that, you need to be still. Be still and know that I am God. I believe 
God wants us as a church family, God wants us as a people to live out of a place of rest, to rest well for our enjoyment and for his glory. And those two things are very closely connected. As the second century church father Irenaeus said, the glory of God is man fully alive. It glorifies God for us to enjoy life in the process as we enjoy him and glorify him. And then as we live out of a place of rest, so we model God's will for those all around us as well. Now, don't get me wrong. I also believe we need to work hard. We need to work hard at reaching and serving and influencing our community for Jesus. We need to work hard in having intentional spiritual conversations and inviting people to church. And we need to work hard embodying that servant identity that we are as people, as God's people. And we embody that servant identity by choosing to serve again and again and again and again and again. And then when we don't get it, we do it again and again and again. And when we do get it, we do it again and again and again. So I believe in reaching and serving and influencing for Jesus and bending all of our energies to that end. Yes, yes, and yes. But it must come out of a place of rest and then come back to a place of rest. Our first order of business, the Lord says, is to rest and then work out of that place. I remember reading this account of a guy who went on holiday to Israel And while he was on holiday in Israel, he was touring the land as you do. And as he was there, he also uh, spent time with a Jewish family over what they call the Sabbath. And Jews have the Sabbath from a Friday night through to a Saturday night. And so he said that when it came uh, sundown, which was the beginning of the Jewish Sabbath on the Friday, he said they turned their phones off. Some of you may not know exactly what that means, but it means that you turn it off. And... (laughs) And the phones went off, and the TV was off, which I know for some is a curse, but we won't go there. Um, It's okay. I'm not saying you have to do that. And they enjoyed time together as a family, and he observed how the family connected over a meal, and they laughed, and they told stories, and they shared each other's lives, and they had fun together. And And then they played games, and they went into the night, and then they went to bed. And then the next morning, he woke up, didn't turn his phone on, still Sabbath. And he read the newspaper and he had a coffee and he enjoyed more, more time with the family and they went for a walk and, and it was a really rich time. And he said initially not checking emails felt really weird and not checking other things on his phone felt really weird. But he said after a while he, he got into it and as he got into it, he really enjoyed it. And then it got to Saturday sundown, the end of the Sabbath from a Jewish perspective. And he said it was almost with great sadness that he picked up his phone and he turned it back on again. I don't know if you've, um, because you live in Auckland, you may not have experienced snow, or not a lot of it anyway. Uh, But my wife and I, my family were in Arrowtown a few weeks ago, and we had two beautiful days like it is today, sunny and beautiful, and then we went to bed. And the following morning we woke up and it was thick, deep in snow, and thick, heavy snowing all day. It was magical. And even in Dunedin, we don't get that that often. This was really, really special. And, and, and because of that, you end up spending more time indoors. We did go sledging with the kids, and that was great. But we ended up spending more time indoors and, and time together as family. I don't know if you've ever experienced the snow day when everything is closed, and so you just enjoy each other, maybe walk around to a friend's house, enjoy time with them. God's design is for you to have a snow day once a week or some ex- equivalent of that. So, we're talking about Sabbath, we're talking about rest, that that day off that God instituted in Genesis 2, that Sabbath day, once a week. But that raises a question, does it not? But that's for Jews. Do Christians have to keep the Sabbath? 
let me just read to you from Mark Buchanan again, and then I'll come to that. He says, setting apart an entire day, one out of seven, for feasting and resting and worship and play is a gift, not a burden. And neglecting the gift too long will make your soul like soil never left fallow, hard and dry and spent. Sabbath keeping is a form of mending. So when we ask the question, do Christians have to keep the Sabbath? Let's just be clear, we're talking about an incredible gift that God is offering. Do I have to open it? May that be an indicator that that's not the right question, but we'll go with the question for now. Do I have to keep the Sabbath as a Christian? If we say the answer is yes, then that puts us under the Old Testament law, the law of Moses, the 613 commands, and we know as Christians we're not under that law because Jesus fulfilled it for us. So we know that the answer yes to this question is wrong. But if we answer no, that Christians don't have to keep the Sabbath, well, what does that mean? That we just have to work and work and work and work and work until Jesus returns or we die and go to be with him? Does that mean that those under the old covenant had it better than we do? That doesn't make a whole bunch of sense out either. So if we answer yes to this question, it's wrong. If we answer no to this question, it's wrong. Can I suggest that when someone asks a question and the answer yes is wrong and the answer no is wrong, it's the wrong question? Making some sense. It's a gift. It's a gift. The Sabbath, um, we also know from Colossians 2 verses 16 and 17 that we're not to judge other people on whether they keep a Sabbath or not, when they keep a Sabbath or not, how they practice the Sabbath or not. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. We're not meant to judge people on that basis. But it's also true that the Sabbath is older than the law of Moses. It actually originates in the creation itself. But to ask the question, do Christians have to keep the Sabbath, is a little bit like asking, do I have to celebrate my best friend's birthday with him or her? If you're married, do I have to buy my spouse a gift and celebrate with them on their birthday and on our anniversary? To ask that question, do I have to, can I suggest, misses the point. And if you've realized that you've forgotten your spouse's birthday, please don't give them that look right now because then I'll lose you for the rest of our time. You know, I know amazing pastors who would love to talk through your marriage issues with them. Their names are Mike and Liz and they're right here. And so why not make an appointment with them later? They would love to do that. Preferably over a butter chicken. Anyway. So for me, to ask the question, do Christians have to keep the Sabbath? Do we have to open a gift that God wants to give us? It's the wrong question. Sabbath is God's gift to us. Uh, Peter Schizero, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he says the Sabbath is about four things. Stop, rest, delight, I think we have it on the screen, and contemplate. The Sabbath is about four things. Stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. Stop. What do you do for a job? Don't do that on your Sabbath, on your day off. Rest. Now, you might be an active rester. You might be a, a sort of more or stationary rester. Whatever resting looks like for you, do that. Maybe it's going fishing. Maybe it's watching TV. Maybe it's playing computer games. Maybe it's knitting. I don't know how that could be the case, but I can't understand all things, so that's okay. God's omniscient. I'm not. Whatever it is, rest. And it's meant to fill your tank, fill you up rather than drain you. So stop, rest, delight. What do you enjoy? Good coffee, good tea, good food good company, good games. What do you enjoy? Do that and contemplate. Worship God. Reflect on him. Think of his goodness. That sounds like a pretty good deal to me. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I took my staff team to uh, Central Otago, a place near Ranfurly, um, 
and we were staying at this kind of B&B type place. And it's, it, the setting of it is beautiful. This was in January. Um, and contrary to popular opinion, we actually have warm weather in the South Island at least once a decade. And this was one of those occasions. Um, and so it was this, this beautiful summer. And we were down there for a couple of days and we had work to do and we had things we had to pray through. We had things we wanted to prophesy over. We wanted to take time to hear from God. We wanted to take time to plan for the year. So we did all these different things as a staff retreat, but I had something else planned as well. Um, but let me just tell you the setting. So this place, it's like when we woke up in the morning and you looked out, there's this vast plain before you and you've got kind of low, low grade mountains, not the really big ones, but still they're a bit bigger than hills, all the way down one side, all the way down the other, and at the far, like as far as your eyes can see, right at the back. And so it's like this massive, beautiful plain is surrounded by these mountains. And, and the way the light reflected on that, that vista, it was just stunning. And so to have a couple of days there alone restored the soul. It was absolutely beautiful. And because of the weather, we would work outside rather than inside and enjoy the weather together and be careful not to get too much sun because it actually got too hot. It does happen once in a while in the South Island. It was just glorious. And then one of the things that we did was we went kayaking. And uh, there were kayaks associated with the place we were staying. So we went down to the local river. And we were told when we got there to kayak, um, to go left, to kayak to the left, not to the right. And so we didn't really know why that was the case, but we did as we were told. And so a bunch of us went kayaking. I think we have the picture um, or a couple of pictures um, of us kayaking up this beautiful river. So we kayaked up to the left and we probably kayaked for about half an hour. And it was, you know, really not hard work, but it wasn't cruisy either, but just beautiful and really enjoyable. And one of, one of our number, it was her first time kayaking and she did very, very well. She only fell in a couple of times, which, no, for your first time, that's actually really good. She did very, very well. And then when it was, we thought it's probably time to go, we turned around and we came back to where we started. And what took us half an hour going one way took us about five minutes going the other because on the way back, we were coming downstream. And for me, the fact that the Sabbath is knitted into the fabric of creation itself is teaching us a picture. You can fight created reality if you want to. You can spend your whole life paddling upstream if you want to. But why would you? You'll be exhausted from it. It won't be as enjoyable and it's not God's will for you. So why would you do it? Imagine if you spoke to someone and they said, you know what, I made a New Year's resolution. And you would say, well, that's strange because we're in September, October. But anyway, I made a resolution. What's your resolution? I'm going to fight gravity. What would you say? You, you can choose to do that if you really want to. I don't think you'll get, it's going to serve you very well in life. It's the same with this whole thing of rest. You don't fight gravity. You adjust yourself according to reality. And so similarly with rest, you don't fight it, you adjust yourself to the reality of how God has made stuff. So can I suggest that God has established a day a week for rest? He's established rhythms of rest in our lives. Don't fight created reality. Adjust yourself to the reality and you will flourish and you will honor God in the process and then you'll model to other people God's will for them. And so let me come back to that question again. What is your practice of resting? How often do you rest? What do you do? What do you not do? That's kind of like my takeaway homework question. So please uh, go ponder that. Don't go right now because I haven't finished, but go ponder that later. Um, I'll say that again. What is your practice of resting? 
How often do you rest? What do you do and what do you not do? Good discussions to have over lunch. What about the question, is there something that we should do on the Sabbath? And, and I do like Pete Scazzaro's kind of rough guideline of rest, stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. I like that. But in terms of like, what does the Bible actually say? The Old Testament scholar John Walton, professor of Old Testament at Wheaton College, he says it should be noted that there are no instructions with regard to what one should do on the Sabbath. Most of the legislation focuses on what one should not do. And what one should not do is work. So then what do you end up doing on the Sabbath? Well, for five years, I was a full-time student in Otago University. And as a full-time student, my job was more or less to read books. You know, it, it's like, it, as a PhD student in the humanities, you're more or less sent to the library, we'll see you in three years, four years, or five years, and you'll have a book written by then. And that's pretty much it, off you go. So off I went. And um, so I read, and I read, and I read, and I read, and I read, because that was my job. As a full-time student, my job was to read. So guess what I did not want to do on my Sabbath? Read. I wanted to do all whole kinds of other things, but not that. I've now been a pastor in Dunedin for seven and a half years. Um, Jesus is slow in returning, or so it seems, and so I just got to keep going, and that's okay. Um, guess what I love to do on my Sabbath now? I love to read. Does that make sense? I don't get to do a whole bunch of that for my job. I get to do a little bit, but not a whole bunch of stuff. And so what I didn't do on my Sabbath before, because that was my work, I now do do because my work has changed. And, and it fills my tank and I enjoy it. I also love to cook. I love to cook gourmet curries and food, or attempted gourmet curries. Came across this, this new recipe recently, slow-cooked Chinese-style pulled pork. It is beautiful. And I can't say that I've mastered the recipe. I just Googled it and found the recipe, and it's such a good recipe, it works every time. But a hoisin sauce and, and, and soy sauce and garlic and ginger and the Shaoxing rice wine and, and a couple of other things. And, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Lunch is coming. It's okay. I won't rattle on for too long. <laughs> some resting is active. Some is a little bit more stationary. It doesn't matter which. What fills your tank? What fills you up on the inside? What's your practice of resting? Um, a year and a half ago, I took this fantastic summer holiday in Dunedin, and we actually had a glorious summer. And we always we have a little party in Dunedin when the temperature in Dunedin is higher than Auckland. It's like, yes, it is possible. Look, we prove it. And then the other 364 days happen, and then, you know, that's okay. But we had this beautiful, beautiful summer, and I uh, had a lot of annual leave accruing, so I took four weeks off, and it was wonderful. And so a lot of trips to the beach with my, my young boys. I've got three young boys. Uh, a lot of time with friends, um, playing games and, and eating food together. Uh, we did a trip to Central Otago where we went fruit picking. I honestly think fruit picking in Central Otago in January should be on everybody's bucket list. And I sincerely mean that. Really, really fantastic. In fact, last time I did it, I got heat stroke because it was 37 degrees. But that's another story for another time. But I just had a really enjoyable, restful time. I didn't think about work at all. It was wonderful. And did I feel guilty about that? Heck no. Heck no. Sabbath is about rest, not guilt. And I believe the enemy will always try to lie and deceive you and stop you from resting by making you feel guilty about it. But the good news is God doesn't value you according to your economic potential. God does not value you according to your productivity. You are not a human doing, you are a human being. And God loves you as such. 
the blessing of God was already on the first people before they did anything. Am I making some sense today? So Alan Fadling in his book, An Unhurried Life, he says, what we do is an expression of who we are, but what we do does not establish who we are. What establishes who we are? The work of Christ, not our work. So getting this in reverse can be deadly to our soul. And then the Old Testament scholar, Brute Waltke, he says, the Sabbath is a time to celebrate and enjoy what has been done the previous six days. It's a reminder that God doesn't value humans by their ability to produce. We are not machines. One of the big lies of the modern age, but we are not machines. We have worth apart from what we produce. So I give you permission. If you want biblical or theological permission, you got it. You have permission to rest guilt-free and enjoy. Now, if you're doing that seven days a week for the rest of your life, and that's kind of been your habit for all of your life, then you may not have got the work ethic thing quite down yet. But if you've got the work ethic thing down, I give you permission to rest. In fact, I strongly encourage you to do so. If you don't rest regularly, I think you will be at risk of living below the poverty line mentally, emotionally, and relationally. And I don't suggest that for you. The thing that surprised me when I took that four week off over the uh, summer, a couple summers ago, was toward the end of my time off, I started to get all of these downloads. I started to get all of these creative ideas and inspiration for a whole bunch of things that I wasn't looking for. And, and then what I found is I started to put into practice some of the ideas that God was downloading to me. And one of them I'm still outworking to this day. One of them was an idea for a book. And so it took me 18 months to write the first draft, which I finished a couple of months ago. And now I'm working towards uh, figuring out publishing and all that kind of stuff. But what I found was that all these amazing, inspiring, creative ideas that I genuinely believe came from God came while I was resting. I didn't rest in order to get that, but I did get it as a byproduct. One of my friends, um, he actually took a one-year sabbatical. Don't ponder on that too much because you'll get a spirit of jealousy like me. Um, but what he found was when he took the one-year sabbatical, however that works, um, he said when he came back to work, in the first six months, he got two years' worth of work done in the first six months. And he said it was effortless. What am I saying? Rest is productive. Rest is productive. And you know what? It's actually biblical too. Rest is productive. If you read the seven days of creation in Genesis 1, there's only one day that is blessed by God. Out of all the seven, there's only one day blessed by God. I think it's the next slide. Um, and that day is day seven. Rest is productive. Now, when you read about divine blessing in Genesis 1, what you read is he blessed, and he usually blesses animals or people or animate objects or animate things. And when God blesses, it leads to productivity. When God blesses, it leads to fruitfulness. So he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. So God's blessing always leads to productivity or fruitfulness. So isn't it slightly odd that day seven is the only day out of all days that is blessed, and that's the one day God doesn't do anything. He rests. Isn't that a bit paradoxical? No. Because as um, Bible scholar Bruce Waltke says, the Sabbath is infused with procreative power. I think we have that somewhere. The Sabbath is infused with procreative power. That God has built creativity and productivity into the practice of resting. And so we don't rest in order to get that, but when we rest, that is a byproduct and it's biblical and it's glorious. And so what I find is actually there's, there's a blessing in rest. You get to enjoy life more. You get recharged for the rest of the week and you get to stop and enjoy what has been done throughout the week. 
And then there's a secondary blessing of this inspiration and this creativity and this fruitfulness that comes even though you weren't planning it. Have you experienced this blessing of fruitfulness from rest? My final thought. There's such good news in the fact that God is in charge and you're not. Such good news that God is in charge and I'm not. Why, after giving Adam and Eve the most important job in the world, did God command them first to rest? What was God saying and what did he want them to learn? And what I think he wanted them to learn was this. Yes, it's your job to rule and reign over creation. Yes, it's your job to steward creation. But I'm God. And see, if you don't do anything tomorrow, creation's going to be okay. It's not going to fall apart. It's not going to turn to custard, that great eschatological statement um, of Kiwi culture. It's not all going to turn to custard because God is in charge and we're not. And these things are not all dependent purely on what we do. Now, don't get me wrong. What we do is super important. Like God has credited you for a purpose and, and, and he wants us to make a difference in our lives and we will, by his grace, we will in partnership with the Spirit, make a lasting difference on this planet. The flip side of that is actually long after you're gone, long after I'm gone, things are still going to be going okay because God's going to raise up other people. It's not all on your shoulders and it's not all on mine and that is good news. So I'm going to leave you with three... Oh, I... I need to say this, that the Sabbath is not just a day, it is an orientation. It is a way of seeing, it is a way of knowing. It is an attitude to nurture, it is a disposition of the heart. So I'm not just talking about a moment in time, I'm talking about a way of seeing on the inside of you, so that you're rested on the inside. And so I want to encourage you, first of all, to recognize that you're a human being, not a human doing. And secondly, I want you to relax that God is in charge and we're not. The world was getting along just fine before we came along and I think the Lord can handle things long after we're gone too. That doesn't undermine that what we do is important. What we do is important. But it's not all on our shoulders. Trust that He is the Lord of the creation. And thirdly, receive the gift of the Sabbath. Receive the gift of rest. And how do we do that? By establishing rhythms of rest in our lives. Establish rhythms of rest in your life daily, annually, weekly, various other periods of time. What does daily rest look like? Time with God. Time with God. Maybe coffee as well. Maybe a nice vista. I don't know. Maybe it's just sun worship. Whatever it is, receive the gift of rest. And that ultimately points to Jesus who says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. All of that rest is only possible wrapped up in the person of Jesus. When Mike and Liz came over to our place last night, we could have closed the door and said, no, go away. That would have been a bit rude. And we wouldn't have enjoyed the gift of their friendship. We wouldn't have enjoyed the gift of their curry. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> this is a gift God is offering you, wrapped up in Jesus. Jesus says, now that you have heard these things, you are blessed if you do them. Mark, over to you. You, you know, we, we try and do things. We try and say things here in this family. We try and say things on Sunday that will help you on Monday. 
And I think possibly more than certainly anything else we've preached this year, if we will do this, it might just change our lives. And I would encourage you to do what I'm going to be doing, which is at some point today, Liz and I are going to be sitting down together and we're going to be saying, okay, what does this look like for us? How do we Sabbath? What are our practices? When are we going to do this? And how are we going to do this differently? Because I don't know about you, but I thought I was Sabbathing and I realize I'm not. And maybe that explains why it seems some weeks we just seem to live the smallest sliver away from complete exhaustion. Oh, that was such a great word. And I can't encourage you enough to make some time this week to sit down with a coffee, ideally today, and go, okay, what are we going to do? Like, what are we going to do? And like Dozzy said, the word says that we're blessed not if we hear it. The blessing comes. The blessing comes when we do it. Amen? Fantastic. Let's all stand together as we close. We're going to finish with a song in just a moment. But let me say this. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, Adam's been talking about receiving the gift of Sabbath, of rest. Have you received the gift of Jesus? The Bible says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God loves you and he wants you to know him and experience his love in your life. The Bible also says, though, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because we've rejected God as the rightful authority in our lives, we're distanced from Him and we can't know or experience Him or His love. The Bible also says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. Jesus is God's only provision for our sin, that through receiving the gift that He is, we can know and experience God and His love. Bible finally says that for all of those who received him, there's that word again, for those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Would you receive Jesus this morning as your Lord and your Savior? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you've never taken that step of inviting him into your life, or perhaps you have, but you've drifted away and and now it's time to come back. I'm going to ask all of us just to close our eyes and I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me if that's you today. There is no more beautiful, more powerful thing that you can do in your life than to accept Jesus into your life as the Lord and Savior. You can pray something as simple as this. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. God, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I have rejected you as the rightful authority in my life. But I believe that Jesus came and died the death I should have died that I might live the life that he lived. Jesus, I receive you into my life right now. Forgive my sins. Forgive me my sins. Make me new. Thank you for making me your child right now in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you pray that prayer, we believe that something powerful just happened in your life. God has met you and he has made you new on the inside and everything begins again now for you. As we go, if you prayed that prayer, we'd love you to fill out the connect card that's on your seat or on a seat near you. Just put your details in there, tick that you prayed that prayer this morning. We'd love to contact you. Just get some great material in your hands. Pray for you. Help you to begin this new journey. For us now, let's all celebrate together. We're going to sing the song. Uh, just once through as we close. What a great word today. Finally, can we show our appreciation to Pastor Adam, please, for bringing that great word. And let's make sure we do something with this. Come on, let's honor God. Let's thank him for his gift this morning.
Let's sing together. Hallelujah.